0: Biblical meditation is about filling your mind with one truth, maybe as simple as God is good, and letting that one truth be like ointment poured on all the wounds that are there within your mind.
1: Welcome to Open the Bible. Colin, I think you're pointing out an important distinction between what a lot of us think about meditation versus what true biblical meditation is.
0: Well, yes, I think the word meditation is often associated with a sort of Eastern approach, which is empty your mind. That's the opposite of a biblical approach, which is that you fill your mind with the truth of God's word and that you let that saturate into your thinking. It's a wonderful thing to be able to slow down and just to ponder some part of God's truth. We love to encourage people on Unlocking the Bible, read through the whole Bible. But along with that, it's really good to be able to ponder a particular verse, to take in a particular truth, to turn it over and to let its richness really penetrate the mind and the heart. It's a wonderful thing in terms of our own walk with the Lord.
1: Well, we're going to do just that in today's message. If you can, join us in Isaiah 40 as we continue with Distorted Pictures. Here's Colin.
0: Our culture is awash with the idea that anything sincerely believed is a valid expression of truth. And that if we want to know what God is like, we can discover this by listening to all religions. Now, do you see how that is precisely the opposite of what Isaiah is saying here in the Bible? Remember that he was surrounded by a multiplicity of religions. There were fertility cults. There was the worship of Moloch, the worship of a god called Baal, and the worship of a female idol by the name of Asherah. And postmodernism, our kind of cultural thought, if it was back there in Isaiah's day, would say, well, of course, they're all talking about the same thing. Asherah, Baal, Moloch, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is is all really the same thing. And no doubt they would use that illustration that you've, uh, I'm sure, heard many times. You know, it's all like five blindfolded men trying to describe an elephant. You've heard this one? You know, one man's blindfolded and he feels the tail and he says, oh, it's like a rope. And uh, the other blindfolded man feels the side of the elephant and he says, no, no, it's like a wall. And uh, the other one's at the front and he feels the trunk and says, no, it's like a great pipe. And we're often told in our culture that, you know, basically we're, when we talk about God, all the religions are basically saying the same thing, it's just that it's a bigger thing than any of us can grasp. Now, I want you to notice that that is precisely the opposite of what Isaiah says in the Bible. These are very different views of the world and of religion, and you need to choose between one or the other. They cannot both be right. Look at verse 18. To what can you compare God, says Isaiah? What image can you compare him to? You see what he's saying? The living God who's the creator of the heaven and the earth cannot be compared to the idols, the man-made projections in the religious world around us of what he's supposed to be like. He's not the same as Moloch. He is not the same as Baal. He is not the same as Asherah. And the idea that we can discover who God is by taking a little bit from each of these philosophies and cobbling them together is a complete and utter mistake. It will only give you an utterly distorted picture and you see, the problem for some of us is that is precisely what we've tried to do. We bought into postmodernism and we've tried to adapt a little bit from here and from there and, and we've cobbled together from the world of religion a kind of identical picture that is confusing and is contradictory in its very nature. You cannot discover who God is like that way. Let me bring it a little closer to home. For some of us have picked up a distorted picture, not only from the world of religion around us in the broad sense, but from religious background in terms of family and even church. A lady was telling me recently, and I loved the phrase she used, she said, the church that I was brought up in, she said, everything was forbidden except for what was compulsory. I like that. (laughs) You've got to think about it for a minute, then you get where she's going. Everything was forbidden, except what was compulsory. It doesn't leave you a lot of room for maneuver, does it? This kind of legalism, had been the environment in which she had been raised. And what it had done was it had produced a distorted picture of the living God as someone who is mean-spirited, joyless, generally unattractive, easy to fear, but difficult to love. I wonder, has it ever occurred to you that that is precisely the distorted picture that the enemy tried to paint in Eve's mind at the very beginning of the Bible story? in the Garden of Eden. You remember that God gave the fruit of all the trees in the garden to the man and to the woman, except for one that they were not to touch. But when the enemy, Satan, came and spoke to Eve, he tried to paint a distorted picture. He said, did God really say that you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden?" Well, the answer, of course, is no. God never said any such thing. But what he was trying to do was to paint a picture of God who was mean and churlish and joyless. Fancy a God who would create a vast garden and not allow you to eat from any of the trees. Well, the whole thing was a distorted picture. And the reason that he was painting that distorted picture is that if he could get Eve to think that God was mean and joyless and ungenerous, It would be very easy for Eve to sin against God. And the truth is that the devil has painted within some of our minds such a distorted picture of God. We find it very easy to sin against him. Very difficult to love him. There's a prayer that I think many of us know very well. Probably learned it at school. You know the one that begins day by day? Day by day, Lord, three things I pray. You remember the first one is? To see you more clearly. That's what we're talking about today. Why? Because only when I see you more clearly will I be able to love you more dearly. And then I'll be able to follow you more nearly. And the reason some of us do not have a great love that's alive for Christ or a discipleship that's at the cutting edge, is that we've got a blurred and a distorted image of God. We drew it from our experience, we cobbled it together from religion, or we basically absorbed it from some kind of background that left us with all sorts of distortions. Now, if that's the problem, the next question inevitably must be, how then can I know what God is like? If we cannot derive a true knowledge of God from our own experience, because it's the experience of a fallen world, or from the world of religion, because it's full of idols, then where are we going to get a true picture of him? The answer to that is that God has revealed himself in the scriptures. If you think about it, there is no way that any man or woman, at any point, ancient or modern in history, could find out simply by thinking about it what God is like. Because God is invisible. The only way in which we will ever know God is if he makes himself known. That's what the word reveal or revelation means. It's kind of like a stage with the curtains drawn and then the curtains are pulled back so that we get a glimpse and then they're closed again. And God has indeed revealed himself. He has made himself known, pulling back the curtains. He did it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to his people Israel, and through the prophets. And we have the record of God's revelation that is laid out for us in the Scriptures. Therefore, we may discover God as he has revealed himself in the Bible. The prophets did not write... Their own ideas about God. In fact, that was the mark of a false prophet. The prophets wrote what God gave them to say. That is true of the whole of Scripture. But you find a wonderful picture of it, a snapshot of it, in Isaiah 40. Will you look there at verse 6? Here, the people of God are about to suffer terrible things in their experience. And God says to Isaiah, speaking to him directly, you have to go and comfort these people. You've got to speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Verse 6, a voice says, God says to Isaiah, I want you to cry out. And notice Isaiah's response. He says, what shall I cry? I don't know what to say. What am I to say to the people? And notice God tells him what to say. Not just general ideas, but God gives him the precise words that he is to say. Verse 9, you're to go into the towns of Judah and you're to say, here is your God. And throughout Isaiah 40, this is why it's such a wonderful passage, God paints a picture of what he is like in his own words. God describing himself in his own words. God saying, Let me introduce myself to you as I am. Now, this is the nature of the scriptures. It is God's revelation of himself, given to the apostles, given to the prophets, given through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in which God reveals himself as he is. He has disclosed himself to them so that we may know him.
1: Open the Bible is a listener-supported ministry. And as you make a donation toward the ministry of £5 or more per month, we will send you as a free gift Pastor Colin Smith's book, Six Hours That Changed the World. Colin, why did you write this book?
0: (laughs) Well, you know, it's amazing how often six hours can come and go. They just fly by without anything of real consequence actually happening. But one Friday... About 2,000 years ago, there were six hours that really did change the world. Jesus hung on the cross for six hours, and through what he accomplished on the cross, the lives of millions and the eternities of millions of people have been changed forever. And uh, the cross, of course, is at the very heart of the Christian faith. And I wrote this book so that you can see what it was that Jesus accomplished on the cross and how everything is different because of it for all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ.
1: We want to send you a copy of this book as a thank you gift for your donation of five pounds per month or more. For details of this offer and how to donate online, go to openthebible.org.uk. Now let's hear from Colin the second part of Distorted Pictures.
0: Now given that that is the nature of the revelation that we have in Scripture, let's come to the prescription then for the spiritual condition of distorted images. And the prescription is very clear. It is the spiritual condition discipline of biblical meditation. Remember, every week we're going to have some practical steps as to what you can do about this particular condition. And I'm commending to you the spiritual discipline of biblical meditation. What does that mean? Well, when I talk about meditation, I don't mean emptying your mind, which is how the word is most commonly used these days. I mean filling your mind. Any practice that starts with the idea that you should empty your mind is highly suspect. When you empty your mind, you never know what might come in. Biblical meditation is about filling your mind with one truth. Maybe as simple as God is good. And letting that one truth be like ointment poured on all the wounds that are there within your mind. Take ten minutes just to reflect on one basic truth, one statement from the lines of Scripture. Soak your mind in it. Work it into every area of your heart and your mind. Let the truth begin to challenge your assumptions and straighten out the lines of the distorted image of God that exists within your mind and within your heart. The practice of biblical meditation. Let the truth that God has revealed about himself in scripture penetrate into your mind and in your heart. If you don't do that, all you're left with is experience and religion. Now, I'd rather do this in these last moments than simply talk about it. So, as you have your Bible open, let's reflect on what Isaiah says as the very words of God are given to him to describe who God is. Notice these two wonderful pictures. Let's fill our minds with them. First, God transcendent, and that simply means awesome and eternal. Look at verse 21 through 22. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? Here's what you need to know, in other words. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and all its people are like grasshoppers. You see, the living God is not like the idols, not like the religions created through human culture. He's not a projection of our thought or of our imagination. He doesn't arise out of the creation. He sits over the creation because he is the creator of the universe in all its vastness. He is sovereign over all other gods. He is sovereign over the world of spirits and of demons. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And you were made by him and for him. Think about that. We saw a gathering of representatives of the whole world this week in the United Nations, and it was awesome. But to this eternal and infinite God, according to verse 15, all the nations are like a drop in the bucket. The earth itself is a tiny speck in the vastness of his universe. God makes our word awesome seem very small. I love a phrase of Stuart Briscoe's. He said on a number of occasions that we used to say that Michael Jordan was awesome because he could dunk a basketball. But God is awesome. He can dunk the world. I like that. Not only is God awesome, but he is eternal. The Bible says that a thousand years with him is just like one day. That means the entire history of this country is no more than a few hours in a morning. And even Europe's not much longer. What is 200 years to an eternal God? Verse 24, no sooner are they planted than he blows on them and they are withered. And when you stand with him and you know what eternity is, you'll see that the whole of human history is like a blip on the screen. And that your life in all your thoughts and with all the importance that you thought about it, is like a nanosecond. It's good for me to remember that if I ever get to feeling that I'm important. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns in heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. And when you come to know this awesome, eternal God, you will never be bored. And when you have been in eternity... I don't know how you measure eternity, but if you'll forgive the confusion of categories, when you've been in eternity for 10,000 years, you will not have begun to enter into the fullness of fascination as to who he is. Here is your God. But, of course, if that is all you've grasped, you're still in danger of a distorted picture. Isaiah goes on in verse 27, because... God is not only transcendent, awesome, and eternal, but he is imminent, which means up close and personal. Here's a person who thinks that this vast God can't possibly know what's going on in my life. And in verse 27, Isaiah says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by the Lord. Do you not know? Have you not heard? He will not grow tired or weary. He gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power. Of the week. You see, it's precisely because of God's awesome greatness that He never tires of us. I just say, I I get weary of myself, don't you? I don't mean do you get weary of me. I, I don't want the answer to that question. Don't you get weary of yourself sometimes? Don't you get tired of the same frustrations, the same battles? But God never tires of you. He knows every thought in your head, every word on your mouth. He knows precisely what he is doing in your life. And the same God before whom the entire population of the world is like grasshoppers, the same God for whom the nations are a drop in the bucket, is concerned about one person, you, and what you face today and tomorrow. I suspect some of us are reeling and saying, I can't take in these two pictures at the same time. I just can't. I see the one, I lose sight of the other. I see the other, I lose sight of the first. How can God be so awesome and eternal and yet up close and personal? You see, everything that is said about God in the scriptures is brought into focus for us in the person of Jesus Christ. Think about this. The New Testament says he is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God. He is God made known to you in all his awesome transcendent power and in all his imminent personal love. And everything that the Bible says about God himself is portrayed for us in Jesus Christ. How's this for up close and personal? Jesus bending down and saying, let the children come to me. This is your God. How's this for awesome? I choose to lay down my life. I have power to take it up again. So that on the third day after he was crucified, the tomb was empty. And Christ was able to say in his risen power, I was dead, I am alive, and behold, I hold the keys of death and Hades forever. This is your God. The last thing I want to say to you this morning is simply this. Distorted images are healed at the cross. For that is where God is brought into focus for you, this God who loved you and gave himself you. And at the cross, he invites you to believe in him, to turn to him, to worship him, serve him, and obey him. Why don't you bring your boredom to the cross? Say, find God boring? Got that distorted image? Can you really be bored with the Awesome, eternal God who came from heaven to earth in order to open the way for you to come and to know him? Will you bring your cynicism to the cross? Can you really write off as irrelevant a God who would not stand aloof from the suffering of this world, but entered it and plumbed its depth so that he may be able to embrace you in your suffering also? And will you bring your antagonism, your anger, to the cross? Can you really hate the God who loved you and gave himself for you? Distorted images are healed at the cross. Well, this is Pastor Colin, and I want to invite you to bring that distorted image of God that you've been carrying in your mind, that picture in its frame, bring it to the cross today. Think of it this way, the image that you've been carrying around of God, that ugly picture, that mean picture that you have projected onto God himself, will you bring that to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, right now, that picture in its frame and let it be smashed there at the cross as you look up into the face of the crucified one who loved you and who gave himself for you and who even now reaches out to embrace you in love. The love of the Lord Jesus Christ is irresistible and I hope that in this very moment, as you see the love and grace of this Saviour, you will embrace him as he even now reaches out to embrace you. What a marvellous thing it is to see the glory of the Son of God, Stephen. One day, faith is going to be turned to sight. No more doubts, no more questions. And we're going to see him as he is, and we're going to be like him.
1: What a day that will be. But until then, we still have to live in this world and face all the doubts that may come our way. And that's where this series may help. It's called Faith with Questions. Today looking at the idea of distorted pictures. If you ever miss a program in this series, you can always go online to openthebible.org.uk. There you can hear any of the talks in the series. Or you can download a free MP3. That's openthebible.org.uk. A few minutes ago, Pastor Colin was talking about responding to Jesus reaching out to you. And if you're walking with Jesus, if you know him as your saviour, I'm sure you're grateful. But if not, you may have questions, or you may want to respond to his invitation today and accept his gift of forgiveness and eternal life that he offers. For Pastor Colin Smith, I'm David Pick. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll join us next time on Open the Bible. This was a listener-supported production of Open the Bible. Are you experiencing very little joy and freedom in the Christian life? Find out why that may be next time on Open the Bible.